This is Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, episode 117. Today, we interviewed Dr. Diana Hendel and Dr. Mark Golston, and we talked to them about the impact of trauma on individuals and organizations, as well as a roadmap on how to deal with future trauma, which they write about in their new book, From Trauma to Triumph. This episode is full of wisdom, so you're not going to want to miss it. to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. This is the only podcast that shows you how to leverage polarity intelligence, an essential competency for healthcare leaders and the missing logic in healthcare so you can create healthy healing organizations and become a thriving, resilient, and unstoppable healthcare leader. We are your hosts, Tracy Christofferson and Michelle Troset. We've been best friends and colleagues for over 30 years. And during that time, we coached healthcare leaders across North America around how to create healthy healing organizations. Today, we coach healthcare leaders and leadership teams to live thriving, resilient, and balanced lives, combat burnout, and create the best places to give and receive care. This podcast is for the unsung hero of healthcare, the healthcare leader. We want you to know we see you and we'll be here for you each week. In this podcast, We're going to challenge healthcare's industry norms, flip limiting beliefs, and share proven strategies so you can be your best self at working at home, live and lead intentionally, and experience well-being and joy. We are glad you are here and look forward to sharing the journey with you. If you aren't totally convinced this podcast is for you, just listen to a few episodes and convince yourself. Well, welcome back, listeners, to another amazing episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. This is Michelle Trosett. Yeah, welcome. And it's Tracy Christofferson, her sidekick. Yes. <laughs> and we just had another fabulous interview on our podcast. You know, all our interviews are fabulous. So true. So true. But today we interview another dynamic duo, and it's not their first time at this rodeo. This is their second time here. Dr. Mark Golston and Dr. Diana Hendel, phenomenal pair, and they're doing amazing work uh, with healthcare leaders and organizations around the country. Yeah, they are. I'm so grateful for what they're doing. You know, they're really striving to help leaders manage the trauma, right? Both individually and collectively that has been experienced in organizations and and prepare for future times when this may come around again, right? We, we never know what's going to happen. That is so true. That is so true. So what's so unique about them is they bring two different um, experiences. One, Mark is a phenomenal psychiatrist with an incredible background. And Diana is a healthcare leader that has lived through trauma. So you put those two combinations together and um, they just have so much to teach us all. And we need to listen to that right now. Yeah. And, you know, I think what I appreciated too in our conversation with them and what I've appreciated just getting to know them a little bit is just their deep respect for each other, you know, and just their story about how Diana just reached out to him. She didn't even know Mark, right? And just reached out, right? On a whim, like, you know, because she respected him so. And now he has come to respect her. And uh, so it's just, they have such a great relationship and partnership. And it's always fun to be with people like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So how about we reintroduce everybody to um, Mark and Diana? How's that? Let's do it. All right. So Dr. Mark Golston is a founding member of the Newsweek Expert Forum and Marshall Goldsmith MG100 coach. 
He works with founders and entrepreneurs and CEOs in dealing with and overcoming any psychological or interpersonal obstacles to realizing their full potential. He is a co-author along with Dr. Diana Hendel of the Why Cope When You Can Heal, How Healthcare Heroes of COVID-19 Can Recover from PTSD and their new book, Trauma to Triumph, A Roadmap for Leading Through Disruption and Thriving on the Other Side. As well, he's a co he's an author or co-author of seven additional books, along with his book, Just Listen, becoming the top book on listening in the world. He is the host of the My Wake Up Call podcast and is the co-creator and moderator of the multi-honor documentary Stay Alive, an intimate conversation about suicide prevention. He's an advisor to No Worry, No Tension, and the leading company in India focused on emotional wellness and the co-creator of their Goulston Voha Happiness Scale. I don't know if I said that right, but I tried. <laughs> <laughs> he is a UCLA professor of psychiatry for more than 20 years with a subspecialty focus on suicide prevention and helping the surviving family members following a completed suicide. And, and also, he's a former FBI hostage negotiation trainer. Wow. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal man. Yes. Yes, he is. And his sidekick on today's podcast interview is Dr. Diana Hendel. And Diana is an executive coach and leadership consultant, a former hospital CEO, and author of Responsible, a memoir, which is a riveting and insightful account of leading during and through the aftermath of a deadly workplace shooting. She now has gone on to co-author the two books that Tracy mentioned with Mark. And uh, she continues just to share her wisdom with healthcare leaders and organizations uh, throughout the country. And as the CEO of Long Beach Memorial Medical Center and Miller Children's and Women's Hospital, Diana led one of the largest acute care trauma and teaching hospital complexes on the West Coast. And in addition to that, she has served in leadership roles in numerous community organizations and professional associations. So without further ado, here's our interview with Mark and Diana. Well, welcome back to the podcast, Mark and Diana. We are so excited to have you back with us. Yes, we are. Oh, it's, thanks for having us. It's great to be back. Uh, you know, I'm surrounded three to one. So ladies first, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, the first question we have is we want to know a little bit about the Mark and Diana journey since the last time we were with you two. And that there's a next book on the horizon, and you two just seem to be on a roll with this book authorship. What's what's next, and what's happening? Well, Diane and I have been both busy. Uh, you know, the the two books were kind of a series. The first one, "Why Cope When You Can Heal," which we talked about in our first episode was really about what's going on inside individuals and the trauma inside institutions and how to get people through the trauma. But our most recent one, Trauma to Triumph, a roadship for leading through disruption and thriving on the other side, uh, that's about how do institutions and organizations, if possible, instead of running from pan the pandemic, which people want to do, how can they learn lessons from it so that they're ready for the next crisis that hits them? 
Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about what you've been doing in between writing these books. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been having some fun? <laughs> oh, yeah. Lots of fun. Um, we've had the opportunity to do a number of different speaking engagements and podcasts together. And then each of us as well, working with clients and individuals. Um, you know, as Mark said, these are kind of two books, really, it was serendipity um, that our paths crossed. Um, you'll see behind Mark, the title of one of his uh, early books that I was exposed to, Just Listen. And it came at a time in 2009, really an important time in my life. And it was one of the few books uh, when I read it, that I kept it. Um, I kept it on my shelf. And in fact, um, I still have it on my shelf at home. And it was also one of those few books that I would buy for other people. Um, it really was a profound shift um, for me. And so when I published my memoir, I reached out to Mark because he was someone who I admired, someone who I had really respected, um, and who someone was who was a PTSD expert. And so I reached out to him really through LinkedIn, a cold call. Um, <laughs> and what ended up happening was this very fast, very deep, wonderful relationship. Um, so really a testament to reaching out to your heroes. Um, they do respond. Uh, Mark Golston responded, and we quickly connected and had a lot in common. And gosh, we're on our way to these next two books. And so it's been just a tremendous, gosh, a little over a year and a half now. And it, it couldn't be more exciting to get to work with Mark on these. Yeah, that's great. Well, the and feeling I'm is more than mutual, I will tell you this, because I'm, uh, I'm going through a phase where I think the world needs a little more to hear from uh, female leaders. Mm -hmm. And what Diana didn't know, because I had her on my podcast, my wake up calls, I was vetting her to do these two books. She didn't know that. Because I was looking for the leaders, the kinds of leaders that the world needs. And Diana has become a hero of mine, because she's just so centered, calm, clear, um, really, to me, she's the role model for the kind of leadership that we need in the world. And and I see that every day as I, I, I almost don't want to read the newspapers when I hear about all the political ping ponging and people just not serving the people they're supposed to serve. And, and Diana is all about that. So it's been a wonderful, uh, uh, I feel I'm the more fortunate one running into her. Ah, that's really great. Well, it's, it's really rare when you find that. So I just am so pleased too with what you two have been able to accomplish in such a short period of time. And, and, um, it's just meant to be, it is, <laughs> it's just meant to be, it is, it is. And I, and I love mm -hmm. your description of the difference between the two books and how really in and of itself, that's a polarity that you've represented, yeah. right? Yep. The individual yes. trauma, the organizational trauma, yep. how to manage both. And um, so I'm really excited today to learn a little bit more about the new book. Yes. You know, Diana's taught me a lot about polarity thinking, which she learned from Barry Johnson. And uh it, it was new to me, but uh, since I've gotten to know Diana more, and and I think you bring up another of the many polarities in life, you know, in terms of focusing on the individual versus the institution, they both have to survive. And often it seems at the cost of the other. And something that we're both keenly aware of is the burnout factor in a lot of our healthcare workers, and wanting to focus on their well being, but it's also at the cost of the institutional well-being. And, and I'm looking forward to hearing what Diana can say about that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, we since find we that um, so many polarities, of course, uh, in our lives, uh, in our worlds, our business worlds, but the trauma really exposed those polarities um, and at a level of both how it affects individuals, but also how it affects the culture of an organization itself. Uh, so polarity thinking, that both-and thinking is so incredibly important and, and a pathway toward healing and recovery and ultimately thriving in the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we found too. And that's mm-hmm. it's really one of the ways that we're leveraging it as well, right? With leaders and organizations mm-hmm. is that thriving, that resilience factor, right? When you understand that dynamic and how it works mm-hmm. um, and that it works the same all the all the time on every polarity. <laughs> that's yes. the beauty of it, that right? That is the beauty of it. Once you understand <laughs> one, you understand... A lot of them. So that's really great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us about what you've been learning about um, since you wrote the first book, uh, you know, about the major trauma on individuals. Like, you know, fast speed up to today. What are you finding? What are you learning now about the impact of that trauma on individuals as a result of COVID-19 in June of 2021? Yeah. You know, something I've been talking about, and then I want to hear from Diana as as much as the two of you do, uh, is... There's a, there's a number of people who really are excited to get past the pandemic, but there's also a sizable population that are feeling listless. They can't get productive. You know, they were expecting to hit the ground running, and there's a sizable amount of people who are hitting the ground limping. And one of the parallels that uh, we've made and I brought up in some of the interviews is that we all remember final exams in high school or college. And after you went through the one week of finals, when it was all behind you, you expected to be excited, but instead you collapsed. And COVID is, if you think of it as a year, more than a year of final exams. And what we had to sort of use to get through it is a fair amount of uh, adrenaline, a fair Mm -hmm. amount of more testosterone than men or women had and then what happened is now that the finals seem to be over those the combination of all that adrenaline to deal with the danger and a little bit of that testosterone to aggressively get through things with when the danger goes away those go away and instead of being able to hit the ground running you just feel like you want to collapse but people will get through this because we've we've always gotten through it but uh uh, we're we're noticing a fair amount of that that a number of people, and I don't know what you hear from your side, but you know you read that there's a number of people leaving healthcare, a number of people leaving education, a lot of people that uh, just need a, a longer break, maybe a permanent break. So uh, that's part of what I'm seeing. How about you, Diana? Yeah, I'm certainly seeing it um, in some ways, maybe as a wake up call. Uh, some people are reevaluating their lives and their perspectives. Some are seeing how they want to make changes in their lives. Others um, have been affected so deeply that they are needing to take time away to recover. Um, So I am seeing a lot of that both and that people have been impacted um, and in some case are suffering uh, from exhaustion, weariness, um, just overload. And that chronic overload Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. has really taken a toll. Um, and I, I see hopefulness and kind of a reemergence, um, and both really happening at the same time, sometimes even within the same person. Um, but 
both exist in our society. And so we'll hear messages of, um, well, let's not, um, you know, we can't just let the last year, we can't forget the last year, you know, uh, we still have suffering and others that are, oh, just put that in the rear view, we need to move on. Um, And that's a classic polarity in both individuals who are traumatized, but also organizations uh, Mm -hmm. that both can exist at the same time. Oh, yeah. 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 And we hear the same thing. You do. You know, and I'm glad you brought that up, Mark, because there are people, um, you know, that that need the rest, right? They just need to rest because they've been so hypervigilant and so, you know, um, active kind Mm -hmm. of mentally, emotionally, right, charged for such a prolonged period of time. It's kind of like, you know, popping the balloon, right? It's like all the air's let out of them. And they just don't, they don't have it right now to even take the next step, right? They need that recovery, that restoration phase, I think. Yeah. And a lot of the leaders of organizations are beginning to realize that as well, because they realize it's going to be a, I think uh, one of them we talked to recently was a sustained recovery. Like this is going to take time to kind of get through this next phase, um, and then that kind of brings me to what are you seeing in organizations? How is that type of behavior and kind of the human response to the whole pandemic? How is that impacting organizations that you're talking with? Yeah, without a doubt, seeing some common patterns, some common signs and symptoms that are um, kind of hallmarks of trauma in any organization that's been traumatized by any kind of trauma. You know, of course, there's different gradients, if you will, or degrees, but um, most organizations that have experienced trauma either to them or um, within, um, and initially there's a lot of camaraderie and teamwork and altruism. There's a lot of bonding, Um, but often once the first phases of shock have happened, once we kind of know what's happening and who it's happening to, then questions of why start to emerge um, and why tinged often with an element of blame or Mm -hmm. self blame. Uh, Mm -hmm. Why wasn't it prevented? Who should have known? Why didn't they do enough? Um, A lot of that second guessing hindsight um, kind of um, guessing that, that casts a a net of blame or self blame, sometimes guilt, um, you know, certainly in healthcare guilt about, could we have done more? You know, individuals may ask or organizations may ask. Um, and then sometimes shame, um, depending upon the type of, of trauma. So we see these hallmarks. And because we all experience the same trauma, but we don't experience it in the same way, um, there's lots of different points of view and often diametrically opposed, 180 degrees. I mean, we, you know, two ends of, of the polarities. And so then um, rifts and polarization deepen, um, sometimes deep divisions within an organization. And with that, if there's not a way to leverage and move forward in a third way, if there's not a way to make space um, for that, then it becomes unspeakable, that we just can't talk about it. And uh, it seems to disappear, but I think we all know that Mm -hmm. things that aren't talked about doesn't mean that they don't lurk and linger um, Mm -hmm. and haunt organizations. So they affect the culture of the organization. And that's largely what we've written about in our book is about that impact um, that's so common to most organizations that have been traumatized. Yeah, Yeah, that stuff just goes underground, right? You know, something that uh, we talk about in uh, Trauma to Triumph are the four Fs in trauma. So a lot of people are familiar with flight, flight, fight, or freeze. 
But the fourth F is friendship. And Diana is alluding to that at the beginning of crises, we pull together and there's that friendship. But then a lot of these uh, divisiveness happens. And what I'm noticing is that one of the things that a number of individuals don't want to do is what they need to do, because people tend to want to just withdraw. Right. And uh, there's a saying uh, I've heard from the uh, the 12 step community, that when you're in your own head, you're in enemy territory. And, and I think when you withdraw, it feels like such an effort to have a conversation. And yet that's what you need to do. And I think leadership uh, needs to know that because once you start to open up people and they share their experiences, uh, it, they often feel better, but it's not something that they necessarily want to initiate. But again, the more they withdraw, the more the trauma can sort of keep re recycling in their own mind and make it difficult to push through. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think it's, it gets harder and harder, right, to connect with others. The more more you isolate, the harder, the more effort it takes to connect with somebody else. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that Michelle mm -hmm. and I have been talking about, too, is this, our, you know, our concept of polarity intelligence, which is about the friend, the healthy relationships that are necessary to move an organization forward and the ability to have the meaningful, deep dialogue about the things they're polarized around, right? Is if you don't know how to have the conversation and to welcome the different perspectives and values, it's going to be difficult to move forward. Mm -hmm. So it's yes. more, it's recognizing the polarities that are there, but it's also how we manage it, what we do with it, um, and who we are in the midst of it. So I loved the F for friend. I yes. thought that was awesome. Yes. So, so important. Yeah. You know, something something uh, uh, we've been talking about, uh, uh, and I've mentioned it in some other interviews, is uh, something called calendar effectiveness training, because people guard their calendars. You know, when they have an appointment, you know, you generally don't flake out because you want to be responsible, and you can calendar your different roles in life. You know, you can calendar, you know, this is going to be connection time. This is going to be focus on moving the organization time. And, uh, and, and uh, I've run into people who have been quite creative. And as someone recently told me, they said, you know, all of our, none of our roles in life compete for importance. They all compete, compete for time. Mm. You know, when I'm a leader, I, that's uh, the mo my most important role as a leader. When I'm a mom or dad, my most important role is being a mom or dad. You know, when I'm a, a, a coworker. And so by uh, they've gotten very creative by making sure that in each of the places they calendar, they do their best to be present. Because if you drag in one role into the next, you're too exhausted to deal with your children, or you're too exhausted from your children to deal with work then you end up cheating everyone, including yourself. And that can start to take a toll on you as an individual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are great action steps to serve both sides of a polarity, right? right? Well, and caring for self, self and, and caring, caring for, for others, others. <laughs> <laughs> right? Which you yeah. had quite a section in there on self-care, which yeah. is a critical yes. element, right? Of yeah. recovery and mm -hmm. moving forward. So, yeah. And, and of course... Of course, we appreciated your whole chapter on <laughs> poor decisions that occur from polarities. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love that yes. chapter. Yeah. And, and you highlighted, you know, the um, 
kind of the national polarity, right? The polarity around the economy and then the healthy populace, right? Which we had a lengthy discussion with um, Dr. Barry Johnson on that. That was episode number 47, I think, for Mm -hmm. us. Um, But it's such a powerful example of unintended consequences and the lack of understanding and knowledge about polarities and the impact that that can have. What do you hope will be gained by that powerful example and how polarities work nationally and globally? Like, what was your hope in including that in the Mm -hmm. book? Well, our hope was that it would allow for a larger framing, that it would allow for more people to come into the conversation so that we weren't making a case for one or the other. Um, We weren't we were wanting to make a larger case because in true we in truth we see it as a polarity and so that false choice of as we address the p- pandemic of either having a healthy economy or having a healthy populace we recognize very clearly was a false choice and of course in retrospect it ha- was a false choice um, and so we we felt that by framing it that way it allowed it to be a great example that people could all relate to uh, mm-hmm. in the moment. Um, everybody could relate to the pandemic and also that it gave it a, a tool to introduce polarities and gave a tool to introduce both the individual and organizational polarities. Because many times when in during normal times, organizations or even individuals, we can kind of tolerate, if you will, the effects or the downsides of not leveraging both sides of a, of attention. Um, it can be under the radar. Um, but in times of crisis or trauma or major disruption, boy, more than ever, we need to leverage both sides. And when we don't, there can be disaster, disastrous consequences. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's why it was really important for us to frame it that way. All right. We are about halfway through this episode of healthcare's missing logic podcast. And we want to take a moment to share that we are very excited about a new program we've released. Let's face it, you and your teams have been through some incredibly stressful times, and it's challenging to know how to support the team and still take care of yourself in the process. We help healthcare leaders become thriving, resilient, and unstoppable leaders. We've recently created a new self-study program titled Caring for Others Without Neglecting You. In this self-study, you will begin to develop polarity intelligence to leverage the tension in your life and create your own personalized strategy for balancing caring for your team and you. Go over to missinglogic.com forward slash new dash events to learn more and enroll today. You know, one of the things that maybe you can go into this, Diana, you know, we're all probably aware of meta communication. And so in uh, Trauma to Triumph, we talk about it's important to be vital in the way you communicate. And so whether you're dealing with one polarity or the other, I I think that's a great example of uh, what we need to strive to do, especially as leaders. And and Diana, can you go into those and and elaborate on those? Uh, You mean the vital communication? Yeah, the vital communication, because... That's a, that's a meta communication, meaning it doesn't matter what point of view you have. This is something that if you do consistently, it will help what you're trying to achieve. Oh, for sure. And I'm sure we'll get into it more as we um, further in the interview. But just shortly, it was communication being such an important part that, you know, many organizations, um, you know, they can kind of get by with 
communication strategies that perhaps um, are not as complete or as inclusive. But I think we've entered a time, certainly, you know, during the pandemic, but now with lots of other traumas that have surfaced where uh, we, we need to have a both and, where we need to um, have a larger umbrella in how we communicate. Um, and so that was the attempt through that vital communications, um, which of course I'm, I'm sure we can dive in deeper, mm -hmm. but at that level of polarities, mm -hmm. it was um, again, to, to broaden our thinking and broaden the framework. Great. And then you also described in your book what happens when polarities go unchecked. So can you give our listeners some examples that you had in the book? Yeah, well, a classic one for sure that, that comes up in everyday times, but which is really important during a crisis um, is sort of that sense of, let's say, decision-making, uh, command and control, like we know who's in charge, um, and consensus. Um, we would argue that in the throes of crisis, um, assuming a take charge, command and control um, stance is really important. Um, and many would say that's most important. Um, but what we see when we overemphasize command and control and that take charge and we neglect consensus or input, well, that can have, that can be disastrous in times of uh, disruption because missed information or information that's not shared or known by that decision making maker can have life or death consequences. Um, and so that idea that we have to also have structures that allow for consensus. And, and so that's why the hospital incident command system that many of us are familiar with um, is a model that we're now um, helping other organizations to replicate because it does establish command and control or take charge. So everyone knows who's in charge, but it's also inclusive and has subject matter experts in that decision-making. Um, mm -hmm. So that's a classic example. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if mm -hmm. we, if we weren't looking at it through the lens of trauma, we would see lots of examples um, in our organizations where uh, an organization emphasizes one or the other. Um, some organizations are very clearly top down. You know, the leader makes all the decisions. It's very clearly um, really a single person or two that make all the decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and we see other and and we see other organizations where it's very much committee structured and very very much more democratic, if you will. And when either of those um, are taken to the extreme and the other is neglected, there are downsides. Um, when one person makes all the decisions, um, you know, an upside can be that. Everybody knows who's going to make a decision and it could be fast. A downside is that it could be a really poor decision uh, because that person doesn't have a lot of information. Another downside of that is it makes it really hard to implement when there hasn't been buy-in or involvement. It's mm -hmm. hard to actually then implement even a really good decision. You know, conversely, if the committee structure is so unwielding and bureaucratic and there's so much red tape, um, you know, yes, an upside is a lot of people involved and things aren't missed. The downside, of course, is maybe people don't know who's going to actually make the decision um, or we're really slow. And so the idea that we can might be able to get away with that during normal times, but during crisis or trauma, that's disastrous. And so that's a classic example. And mm -hmm. it leads then to a lot of tactics on what mm -hmm. leaders and what organizations can do um, to leverage both of those poles. 
Well, and I think too, there, you know, it's a, it's a good example of the dynamic balance aspect. Like when you talk about, you know, control and command and consensus in, in a trauma situation, in a crisis situation, there will be times where you absolutely, the focus is going to be control and command, like, especially in those first phases, right? When you're trying to gain control of the situation, um, you're going to go less to the consensus, but over time, you need to bring that consensus back in and continue to develop that, right? So it's again, knowing where you need to put the emphasis, when you need to put it there and why you're putting it there and never totally letting go of the other pole. Right, right. Yep. And if you have a structure, mm-hmm. that, so like the hospital incident command structure, that is structured very much both and. It is yeah. structured mm-hmm. to take advantage of instant command control, take charge, and mm-hmm. a structure that has ability to have consensus as needed. And so mm-hmm. you're not having to make it up at the time. Right. You, you leverage each, maybe not completely equally, but both are in place. Right. Um, so that you're not making it up or, or developing it on the fly. You're not having to experience severe downsides that then now say, gee, we now need to add input. You know, then you scramble to add input. Um, or, oh, gosh, we're floundering. We need to designate someone in charge, you know, a single person. That happens right up front. Um, yeah. And so very much to your point, Tracy, you get to then very intentionally leverage each. Yeah. Yeah, you're not doing the pendulum swing. That's right. Right, right. right. Yes. <laughs> and during a crisis, having to even make it up, even the, the pendulum swing is really difficult because you're having to make it up on the fly. And so if you can embed those processes in advance, then you're removing some of the stressors. You're mm-hmm. reducing the variance, if you will, but you're also reducing the emotional stress on the very people who are uh, in charge of moving the organization through and in, in the, in the mm-hmm. aftermath of that crisis. Yeah. You know, part of what I bring to the equation, because, you know, I, I'm, I'm the therapist by training. And as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking that during a crisis, what is going through your people is fear. And fear is looking for someone to be more command and control. But then as the crisis eases, what happens is if you don't tap into your people, the fear crosses into resentment if you don't ask them what they're thinking. <laughs> and, so, and so another pendulum is between yeah. fear and resentment or fear and loathing mm-hmm. in Las Vegas, wherever <laughs> it takes place most. But uh, but but I, I think uh, uh, Diana is speaking to that, that you know during the crisis time, people are feeling afraid. So they want to and they really need a central place mm-hmm. to look to be in charge and take control. But then as that's easing up, you can see how as people come out of their fear, they're going to be resentful and they're not going to buy in if you don't tap into them. And that's why it's important to be able to have dual skill sets if you're a leader. I mean, there are some leaders who can only lead from command and control. And there are some leaders who can only lead through a consensus. And I think this is an opportunity to to become a full dimensional leader. I mean, one of the things, which is how I see Diana, Diana is able to go back and forth between each of those, which is, you know, why uh, I'd follow wherever she told me to go. But then, (laughs) but then she'd ask me, okay, Mark, crisis is over. What do you think? (laughs) And, uh, and I think leaders need to be able to be uh, uh, come from both, uh, both places. Oh, yeah, definitely. And 
And at the same time, different leaders have different strengths, right? And so when you don't have both strengths, that's, I think, to Diana's point, where it's important to have a structure that can support you in the area that is not your strength, right? So if you're a command and control kind of leader and you're excellent at that, right, then you need a structure that brings in the complementary component of consensus to help kind of overcome what might be you know, mm-hmm. um, your greatest opportunity. Let me say right. that. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. You know, protect yourself from your own blind spots, right? Sure. So yeah. you need that partner, that infrastructure that is really there to support you in that holistic way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I became such a fan of of process and structure um, during because of tragedy, because of crisis. Um, seeing that it did the heavy, did some of the heavy lifting. Um, mm-hmm. It allowed us during emotionally charged times to not be purely purely making it up, you know, in, in the moment. Um, it allowed for that support and that foundation it was really important. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that, and I don't, you know, I don't know this on a big, broad global scale, um, but during the pandemic, you know, a lot of organizations have... Um, council infrastructures or infrastructures where the staff are engaged, right? In decision-making, they're engaged Mm -hmm. in owning their culture. And a a huge mistake is to shut that down at the point of the pandemic, right? Because that's when you need to tap in, not, you know, but understanding resources need to go to the care delivery area, right? But oftentimes what happens is leaders make a decision to overemphasize one to the neglect of the uh, other. Mm-hmm. And they actually lose that that ability to tap in, to involve, to enhance communication um, because they're trying to they're trying to do the right thing, mm-hmm. right? But they make a false choice, I guess is what I'm yes. trying to say. Yeah, yeah. And then there are consequences because of that. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons uh, for Trauma to Triumph. The subtitle is it's a roadmap, because when people are stressed out, sometimes strategy seems too vague and abstract, but we all use Waze or Google Maps. Even if we don't know where we're going, we can trust a roadmap. And and I'm quite proud, uh, especially of what Diana added to the book, to add those roadmap pieces so that if you just follow what we lay out, it should be able to help you not only get through the crisis, but as we promised, to to thrive on the other side. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that's a great segue, Mark, because I think that's one of the really biggest values of the book is it does give people that roadmap. So can you guys share a little bit about the three different phases as a part of that crisis roadmap, mm-hmm. you know, when there's trauma or significant yeah. disruption in an organization? Yeah. So, you know, when an organization is traumatized and the people within it are traumatized, of course, first and foremost is ensuring safety. Um, And so having a rapid response process or a hospital incident command process is really important. Um, I think I always appreciated the hospital incident command process, but I never appreciated it more than when we experienced a severe trauma. Um, And boy, we got to be... um, well-practiced at it. And I found the value of it. Um, what we also, what we recommend, because um, we have a lot of clients that are outside of healthcare and frankly, outside of healthcare, most organizations don't have a rapid response process. And in fact, even mm-hmm. through the pandemic, they cobbled people together, you know, phone trees and ad hoc situations. And even as 
the pandemic was subsiding a bit for um, uh, you know non-healthcare kinds of businesses, we saw sort of um, well putting that on the back burner. And so we've really been working with organizations to memorialize that and really put processes in place to capture um, that rapid response process because you know it's not a matter of um, if. A, a, another crisis or trauma um, occurs, it's when. And so for organizations to be prepared. So that first and foremost, being prepared for health and safety is really important. Um, it helped us to be able to identify gaps in services that we had, um, you know, things we needed to get outside help on. So that's really, you know, at the core is really important. Um, the second, you know, and Mark touched on this was the communication element. Um, we called it VITAL with an acronym, um, V as in visible, I is in it together, T for transparent, uh, A for accessible, and L, which is actually the most important, is listening. Um, and we found that, of course, these were elements that were very important during a, a crisis, but also help an organization to function even better during normal times. Um, and I think during a crisis, we often think we have to have all the information before we share. And what ends up happening is voids are created. Mm -hmm. And under extreme duress and fear, when voids are created, you know, we make up stuff. Um, yep. Meaning, you know, we start to, to guess what might be happening. Rumors begin. Um, and more often than not, we're wrong about the narrative we've created in that void. Um, so that importance of having... Um, uh, information come quickly, even if we don't have all the information, even if we're saying, here's what we know and here's what we don't know. Um, but addressing elephants in the room, um, addressing rumors head on, um, assuming that if there's silence, that doesn't mean that everybody's fine. Um, but that listening part was really important. Um, and that ability to listen for what we don't want to hear, um, listen for resistance, listen, listen you know, as uh, one of our mentors, Tracy and Michelle says, you know, there's wisdom in the resistance. Mm -hmm. And um, so listening for that and in times of crisis, it's more important than ever. Um, so those are elements that right off the get go, right in that first phase become exceedingly important. Mm -hmm. um, once the initial phase has passed um, of trauma, um, those two elements are still very important, um, but it's really important to stop and do a look back or, or a hot wash, as we sometimes call it in, in healthcare, an after action review. Um, and a lot of times, and in, in certainly in our culture, we're really oriented towards moving forward. And, you know, we have sort of, um, uh, we, we don't want to look in the rearview mirror, you know, just move on. Um, but there's so much value in doing that look back and in and really honestly looking at what went well and, and what didn't. Um, because it allows an organization then to put processes in place and repair, um, you know, for the next time and, and often for the normal times. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, team building, you know, we, we talked a lot about um, the camaraderie and the altruism that emerges early on, but also the, the deep division or potential for polarization um, organizations that fare and have fared well through the pandemic or through any uh, trauma are ones that can capitalize on um, that shared purpose and meaning mm -hmm. who, and that overtly do um, right. that call it out um, and that address that polarization is likely impossible. So we don't ignore it. 
we talk about it. Um, yeah. Our ability to name and, and talk about what's happening um, is so critically important. Um, and then I'll just, you know, touch on decision-making being was a game changer for us um, and is a game changer for many organizations, um, mm-hmm. but I'll pause there. Um, but that in essence are the elements of, or the ta- of the tactics that we've outlined um, in response to trauma. Yeah, that I spot on. Just wisdom. Spot on. Yeah. <laughs> wisdom. Such great wisdom. Well, you know, and from somebody who's been there, right? Yes. Like so been there, done that, right, Diana? And the lessons learned are, you know, lifelong. And mm-hmm. I just I just think it's it's wonderful what how the two of you have combined your experiences, your knowledge, your strengths to really um, serve people at, at this time of crisis mm. and trauma for individuals and organizations and nations um, to really help them look through a different lens and to see the significance of what's been experienced. So I just really thank you for your books. They're fabulous. Yeah, thank you very much. I couldn't yeah. agree more. And I just, I'm going to go back to what I said in your first book. It's it's really simple to comprehend the way you two write mm-hmm. in the easy checklists and laying out the roadmap. It's not a real, to me, you don't get overwhelmed with a lot of protocols and details and heady stuff. It it makes a lot of sense and they're very well written. So I really mm-hmm. appreciate that about the books, both of them. Yeah. It's like a conversation. It is. It is like a conversation. Yeah. yeah. We imagined it was a conversation that Mark and I were having and that we wanted it to be accessible we yes. wanted it to be real, um, yeah. relatable, um, helpful. And if it was um, too heady, well, then it was going to be lost. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't resonate. So we're glad that it's had that effect. Yeah, yeah you know, the, you had mentioned uh, the element of buy-in, and we wrote the books so that we can maximize buy-in. And something that actually I spoke about in my prior book, Just Listen, that, you know, buy-in happens when, when people – uh, can make sense of a situation when it feels uh, like it would work, and then it feels doable by regular people. Like you don't have to be a super expert to do it. So buy-ins, when something uh, makes sense, feels right, and then seems doable. So we've tried to carry that through in both the books so that we'll have more buy-in and people using it and helping them get through this and on to better times. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, before we end, we have a little new process for you that we're going to go through, (laughs) and it's called the missing questions. So I've got a couple of questions for you to answer. I would like to hear from both of you, and uh, I'll ask the question, and then, Mark, why don't you respond first, and then Diana can respond. And it's nothing real difficult. (laughs) I'm sure you got it. Don't think too much about it. Don't get in your head. (laughs) Don't get in your head. Right? It's just some fun questions for people to kind of get to know you as a person Mm -hmm. uh, outside of your awesome, you know, um, professional careers. Um, So I'm going to start with the first one. And this is a fill in the blank. So fill in the blank, Mark. I am passionate about leaving the world better than I found it. And I try to do it one conversation at a time because I come from a therapist background. Awesome. Diana? I'm going to go with I'm a wife, a mother, a daughter, a friend, a sister, 
um, a citizen of this world. And I'm purposely labeling because for a lot of years, if I were asked that question and I had to respond, it would be with a professional title. Um, and I'm happy to be at a phase in my life where I'm uh, feel a more complete person. So, oh, that's wonderful. wonderful. Thanks wonderful. for sharing that. Yeah. Okay. Here's the next one, Mark. One thing you do to keep yourself balanced. Every day I think of what I'm grateful for. And I try to make a point of, uh, if it's a person, of letting them know. Uh, in fact, I've been in some conferences when it's a long time. I say, let's start the conference by your sending a video selfie to someone that you're grateful to. And then you can interrupt the conference later if any of you get responses. And it just flips the conference. I mean, people saying, this person that I sent a video of how grateful I was to them, they just called, they just called back or wrote back. They've watched the video four times and they're crying. So, so I try to focus on who I'm grateful to, what I'm grateful for. And Diana is close to the top of the list. <laughs> You got a raving fan, I Diana. <laughs> hey, it's mutual. It's mutual. It goes both ways. Yeah. How about you? I'm going to um, highlight uh, physical exercise and being outdoors and playing pickleball. I'm going to say I love to do hiking, mm -hmm. and I've recently taken up the sport of pickleball, and it was available during the pandemic, and it was really a lifeline for me um, to have physical exercise and connection to other people, you know, well, more than six feet away. So <laughs> that's great. And for those of you who don't know what pickleball is, well, you will certainly it's the fastest growing sport. Um, and it's a mashup between tennis and ping pong, if you can just imagine that. Yep. Yep. Very popular. Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. One more. Um, Mark, when was the last time you sat in silence? Last night. Good for it was you. weird. Last night I sat in silence because I've just been running around. And I'll tell you, it's the first time I've, I've slept 10 hours because I've been just running uh, from dawn till dusk. And I haven't slept 10 hours in five years. So you caught me on a great day. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's great. And Diana, how about oh. you? Oh, we're a story of contrast, Mark. Oh, my goodness. Last night was the first night in a long time that I was awake for three or four hours in the middle of the night. Um, and the first couple of hours, I will say I was a little bit frustrated, you know, like, why couldn't I go to sleep? Uh, but then I spent that third hour really just meditating, meditative, and just enjoying the silence and the non-busyness. Um, so interesting, we had... Very different tale of two 24-hour periods. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm, glad, I'm glad you didn't call to wake me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't text you in the night, yes. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> well, we just really believe silence is so important, right? We're mm -hmm. Again, we're doing, 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 and it's silence <clears throat> is a big part of just being, right? And it's just, again, one of those polarities to, to manage. I, 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 you, you just triggered a, a memory. I remember someone came in, some years ago, and they were, you know, a lot of alpha energy and 
uh, they were talking nonstop. And, and I said to them, shh. And they said, what? I said, shh, be quiet. They said, what? I said, uh, the quiet between the noise in your head is screaming out to me for you to hear it. And it's, and the quiet is screaming out so loud that I can't hear what you're saying. And, and, and the uh, person said, what? I said, just close your eyes and take a few breaths and you will hear the quiet screaming out to you. And what happened is they closed their eyes and they just started sobbing and they sobbed and they went for five minutes and then they collapsed on the couch. And then when they got up, they were like 10 pounds lighter with a huge smile. And I said, what are you smiling about? And they said, that's what I've been looking for all my life. And everything I do without exception takes me away from it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. And I said, yeah. well, that, that's something we're thinking about. Yes, it is. It wow. is. It's very profound. And that's mm -hmm. what you find in the silence, yeah. right? When you have that quiet, you can, you know, so much is revealed to you. So mm -hmm. anyway, a little bit about why we asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> One more I got for you, and this is related to polarities. We all know that, you know, we tend to have preference poles, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what polarity is, we kind of tend to lean a little more one way than the other. It's just natural. It's There's nothing right or wrong about it. So I want to ask you, what is your preference pole when it comes to the productivity and relationship polarity? Which way do you lean? Mark, you go first. I think I will uh, defer to the relationship pole. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm a uh, something that's happened since we last met is I've become a member of Marshall Goldsmith 100 coaches. So I'm one of his 100 coaches, and we have breakout sessions uh, when we have calls. And I was in a uh, breakout session with five women, and I said, maybe I'm just you know, it, it's a matter of my age. And I said, one of the concerns I have with hard driving, wonderful women who have a lot of alpha energy is that it's tough to switch to being incredibly patient and incredibly warm with their very young children who need that more than activities and solutions. And a couple of the women in the breakout room, their, their heads snap back and they said, you just hit the nail on the head. There's just so many responsibilities on us. We can't drop any of them, but you're absolutely right. So I, I lean into the relatedness because I think it's, it's going away in the world. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I definitely tend to lean toward relationships um, versus doing. Um, I mean, probably like lots of people, I, I like checking the boxes, but uh, I much more prefer to connect to people. So. Well, thanks for sharing yeah. that. It's just kind of fun to get to know a little bit more about you and our listeners to hear a little something different. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was fun. Oh, thank well, you. thank thank you again for another wonderful interview. And uh, we're really excited to put this out there and bring that second book to the world. And we, we just love being with you guys because we're, we're so well aligned. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah, we are. What a fabulous interview. Thank you so much. It's just been our pleasure mm -hmm. to be with you again. And hey, who knows when we'll have you back? Who knows? But yeah. Well, you know, I just want I just want to applaud both of you because uh, from from the 
side of the world about relatedness, we need more people who talk to and with each other as opposed to over at or the worst case down to each other. And you do an amazing job of talking to and with both us and each other. And I think you're, you're just wonderful role models for that. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. Anything else you'd like to leave our listeners yeah. with before we close? Just thank you. Thank you to, for your listeners for all the service. You know, they've made a profound mm-hmm. difference in the lives of a lot of people this past year. Yeah. So. You know, and thank you to your listeners for the kindness that they find sometimes in the chaos because the world needs all of it it can get right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, it sure does. It sure does. Amen to that. Yeah. So with that, we'll say to the listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, now a top-rated podcast for healthcare leaders. Please share this podcast with other healthcare leaders and anyone else you think would benefit. We are certain that if you found value in it, they will too. If you haven't already done so, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And also, it would mean the world to us if you took a quick moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. It helps to get the word out about our podcast and incredible guests. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you want to watch our podcasts. You can also follow us on our Missing Logic social media channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next time.